0: Thank <laughs> you. Listening to the Jazz India Circuit podcast. I'm your host, Laksh Datta. This episode is part three of our six-part musical journey about all that jazz. That opening number you just heard is from the song called "Quantime" by the band Drift the Trio, with Ruben Narayan on drums. Ruben teaches at the One World College of Music in Gurgaon, and he is my guest in this episode, where we talk about jazz drumming, where the music comes from and the lyrical life of a jazz musician on and off stage. All musicians learn and improve their skill set by playing the greats. So I started my conversation with Ruben by asking him what songs did he play when he first started playing drums at the age of 15.
1: When I started playing, my my goal was to get into the school band Mm -hmm. on drums. So that was the only real intention. So obviously I did all the uh, choir singing, uh, backing, you know, uh, songs that we had to learn, Mr. Postman, you know, a lot of the ABBA stuff and things like that. We had about like 10 songs we needed to know to play in the school band. So I did that. And alongside there was uh, this, you know, rage for rock music at that point of time, the Deep Purples and the White Snakes and things like that. And everybody around me were guitar players and bass players and they wanted to do that music. And I got onto the bandwagon, really. But s- somewhere in my entire uh, system, I-, I didn't really have an a inclination for that music at all. I did it because it was something to do to get into the click, you know. So I didn't really have a music, a particular music I enjoyed playing or wanted to, like, do. But interestingly... I, I, I spent about two years in the school band. That's maybe 10th and 11th, or maybe even 11th and 12th. And towards the end of 12th, uh, I had a very, very good music teacher. His name was Mr. Brown. I re- I I requested him that I wanted to play a particular song, which was a very famous uh, jazz standard. It's called Take 5, and everybody knows it, Dave Brubeck. So I requested him if we could do that for one of the competitions. And he was really surprised that you know I'd be interested in doing that. Uh, so he said, yeah, sure, we tried it. It was an absolute disaster because none of us could improvise at that point of time. But when I think back, it, it, it was a very key moment for me to get into the music and be interested in it. I, because I, I see so many kids trying to play music or playing music, uh, for me, it's a very clear system on how it sort of comes around. Because, uh, you know, uh, people have certain voices and they uh, articulate melodies in a certain way if you have a tendency to sing a melody in a particular way, it automatically gravitates to certain instruments. Do you, can you understand? Like yeah. for, from the beginning, if I would hear a melody, I would always use like, Too, doo, doo, doo. I would always sing these syllables. It was just natural for me to always sing that syllables. And thus now it makes sense why it was natural for me to sort of gravitate towards um, wind instruments in that way. Because, you know, I wasn't singing like a violin or I had these attacks in everything I was singing. So, you know, it sort of correlates that way quite directly.
0: After college, Ruben went off to New York City to learn how to play drums at the Drummer's Collective. I asked him about that experience.
1: It was just interesting. I'd never met so many people into uh, art, really. Forget music. Like, into art for art's sake, you know. Uh, My experience in India and, and for whatever reason, maybe it's just uh, the circumstance or economic s- situation you're in. My experience in India was always that, uh, even musicians for that matter, they were into something for being, f- for something else in return, like you you played music to belong to a certain clique. You, uh, uh, you if you were a metalhead or you were you know into deep purple and that sort of stuff or you were you know trying to do art music like studying classical at dsm and that uh, that time there was only dsm or things like that so everybody had like this purpose attached to art this was the first time i was witnessing people who had absolutely no purpose attached to art besides pure uh, joy or or inculcate or inculcating an intelligence you know that was that was really really uh, eye-opening as long as i was studying in india there was this technique to reach x factor right it wasn't to become musical or express yourself in x y z way it was just for to accomplish a particular goal of playing that song at that speed or whatever there so at so that was the real thing about new york and not only drummers collective because drummers collective was a very small part of it but just to hang, hang around there was that everybody wanted the same things, but for different reasons. It was more just uh, like more the philosophy than the, uh, the output. At that point of time in New York, there was this uh, drama called Blind, Brian Blade who was coming up. He was already big by that time, but he was still not the entity he is today. So, uh, and he used to play with a guitar player called John Abercrombie uh, at that point of time. And they were playing in New York all the time everywhere, especially in the area where sort of I was there. And that was just, I must have seen them play at least 15 to 20 times. It was just, that was where I wanted to be all the time. That and then... um, yeah, there were, there were these free jazz people. I saw, I saw something about them that attracted me and it just so happened that they happened to be all jazz musicians in that
0: way. Sitting with Ruben, I knew I was sitting with two kinds of musicians, a performer and a teacher. So I had to ask him a simple question which non-musicians like me have been wondering for ages. Where does the music come from? And once it does somehow present itself, how does a musician turn them into different kinds of sounds?
1: There are bifurcations created within this uh, jazz drum scenario where you say Latin jazz or you say swing or you say New Orleans or whatever. Uh, All that is there. It's a matter of... uh, Those are technical things. Those are technical approaches to the instrument and what you need to play. But... Once you're over that hurdle, all of these styles are governed in my head by a single philosophy. And that philosophy is very old. It's a very old philosophy. Uh, going back to the African music, Or as, as as much as I know about African music, which is Ghanaian music, ab music, and you know, Nigerian music and things like that. That philosophy is like, you are lyrical, not particularly melodic. Melodic in the sense that uh you have to play these notes at these times you're lyrical more than melodic and you're governed by a repeating cyclical pattern so you're being lyrical over a larger object that is or, or a smaller object however you look at it that is governing your lyricism underneath it that's that's the nature of what how i understand the music beyond that latin jazz and all these these are flavors they mm-hmm. to a to a musician to a, to a real jazz musician, I don't think it has any meaning. I think it you just use one or the other to keep the audience entertained. From the drummer's perspective, there are some basics that uh, anybody listening to jazz has to like keep in mind. Yeah, you have to keep time. Like the, the pulse of the music has to be very, very constant or very, very energizing, even if it's not constant. How I've personally felt all, all the time when I've been playing with people is that I've always felt more connected uh, in an ensemble with a singer uh, or or with the soloist uh, at a given point of time Uh, because I feel like these are the only two instruments which aren't governed by temperament. It's not governed by uh, tuned pitches at any given point of time. It's more a lyrical thing. While you're improvising, it's more a lyrical thing. You're creating conversation over some fixed patterns whether those be chords or whether those be rhythms creating so i i've personally i've been told repeatedly to sort of follow the bass player and things like that but i've i've i personally found it very hard to do that because my natural instinct is to always connect directly with the with the lyricism of it rather than the floor of it you know
0: at the beginning of this episode i told you about Ruben's band drift the trio they played together for a long time before distance, literally physical distance, made them take a long break. So I asked Ruben to reminisce a bit about a typical week during their gig life, and also how collaboration really works in jazz, given the improvisational nature of it. You'll also hear a short clip of their song, Ten One one In Between.
1: We were just a very heavy gigging band. We played a lot of... Uh... This was long before demonetization. So there was a lot of black money. Uh, We played at a lot of people's lawns uh, and took cash for it. Uh, We played at a lot of clubs. Lot of, lot of, lot of clubs. Clubs is not even the right word. We played in a lot of restaurants. We removed one table and played in a corner, as we do even today. Uh, So, yeah, we played. We weren't a successful band by uh, any measure. But we were a heavily gigging band. We played almost, uh, we had a permanent residency of playing three nights a week. Plus, we would get at least three other gigs on, in that week. So we were playing about six or seven days. Even if we were playing three days, there were times we were playing two gigs a day. So it was very, very heavily Before the night of playing, there are uh, years of having written some songs of your own uh, and learning other standards. Um, and then when you come together as a group, you decide on the standards that are co- that end up being common between you people, that, that a group knows uh, altogether. And you present your songs either in written format or you might have sent a recording. But that's rare to send recordings to decipher something in the nature of jazz is hard because you have to have that sort of your training so you, usually it's in written form and then you begin to uh, try to run through the music prepare it and then on the night you play your own songs which you've written over over that period of time and standards that you know a particular band member might be comfortable with so he'll lead the group on that uh, on that song and then somebody else will lead it on a different song so that so that's really how it works there, there, there is a lot of preparation, but again, unlike a, a sort of a pop music or rock music sort of situation where you have, you know, end to end rehearsal, like you're completely covered end to end on what you're supposed to do, and everything that's a hit is a hit and everything that's a miss is a miss. In jazz, it's because it's so liquid, the it's the preparation is far more. Expansive, if if that's the right word.
0: Jazz musicians love what they do. And they also love watching and supporting each other. So before I left, I asked Ruben about what it's like to sit in the audience for a performance and if he's able to take his musician or teacher hats off as he listens to the show.
1: I'm unaffected by uh, the technical aspects of uh, when when I'm in the audience watching a jazz band. Because I I don't feel I really look at it that like that, especially if I was watching an improvisational band. Uh, yes, if I went to watch a funk band or a neo-soul, neo, neo soul, as they call it today, I don't know why, it's a very strange word, but neo-soul band or something like that, then I'm observing it more as a thing, you know, like I tend to look at the drummer more or I tend to look at, the guy playing the chords more or what sort of chords, you know, those sort of things happen more. When I see like a jazz jazz band play, it's very hard for me to sort of, uh, you know, isolate anything because the whole thing comes comes to me like one object. And especially if they're like, especially real, I don't want to use the word real jazz musicians, but I mean, people who've been uh, genuinely uh, touched by the music when they perform, they understand these things. So. It's very even, it's even hard for an audience to receive them individually. Mm-hmm. Because they've been, it, the, the community of it or the presentation of, of harmony is so strongly inbuilt in the musician that you cannot perceive his performance as an isolated object. It really hits you like one big, really big object. And people play like that. People play with that much uh, freedom, yet... Uh, respect for what's happening around them. This is, this is, uh, if anybody wanted uh, personally, I think if anybody wanted to study how to design a free world with a deep sense of community or deep sense of harmony, this would be the place to look.
0: That was drummer Ruben Narayan telling us about the lyrical lives of jazz musicians. That's it for part three of the Jazz India Circuit podcast. This episode is being posted on November 15th, so if you're listening to this anytime before November 30th, you can still get tickets to India's premier jazz festival at jazzindiacircuit.com. The festival is taking place in Goa on November 30th and December 1st, and then in Gurugram on December 6th. Listeners of our podcast get a special 10% discount on any package. Just use the offer code jazz10, that's jazz Z -Z one zero at checkout on Paytm Insider. Closing out this episode is one of the bands performing at Jazz India Circuit in Goa on December 1st. This is The Turbans.